podcast. If you're not listening to podcast, the terrorists are winning. That's what Jay Moore says. Welcome to the podcast. Sit down and enjoy a pint. Welcome to the Close Encounters episode of the podcast. Allison and Eric join me to break down this 1977 classic from Steven Spielberg, a movie that is ingrained in all of our childhoods. We all love this film, and so many of the scenes are super memorable and quotable uh, and have been copied and parodied over the past 40 years. One of the questions we discuss is whether this is the most Spielbergy movie of all time, and we really dive into the three types of aliens we see at the end, answering a question I've had since the first time I saw this movie 40 years ago. Finally, when we get to the how much are they worth game, you'll hear one of us make the worst guess in podcast history. So make a giant pile of mashed potatoes as we break down Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Indianapolis, Aries 31 has traffic 2 o'clock, slightly above. Can you say aircraft type? Uh, negative center, uh, no distinct outline. Tell you the truth, the target is rather brilliant. Wait a second, he's heading right for my windshield. The traffic is approaching head on. Ultra bright and really moving. Right by us, right now. That was really close. 31, do you wish to file a report of any kind of it? I wouldn't know what kind of report to file, Senator. This is nuts. What do you want? I just want to know that it's it's really happening. We recently had a close encounter. A close encounter with something very unusual. Who are you people? Okay, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, 1977. Uh, the no-nonsense plot. Get ready for this one. Ready. Uh, Roy Neary, which throughout the movie, I did not know his last name. <laughs> I 100% thought the same thing. I'm like, I didn't even know yeah. they ever said the last name. Yeah, probably did, but uh, I wasn't paying attention. Roy Neary, an Indiana electric lineman, finds his quiet and ordinary daily life turned upside down after a close encounter with a UFO, spurring him to an obsessed cross-country quest for answers as a momentous event approaches. Wow. It's a, a lot, lot of words to say. A lot. Okay. 
overall reaction to the movie. I did not see this in the theater. I was too young, unfortunately. But this is one, had it come out three years later, my dad would have yeah. dragged me this, to this movie to see it. Uh, I'm sure. Uh, he loves this movie. My mom could, she's, she's fine with it, but doesn't really care that much about it. Um, this was on our house as much as possible and uh, growing up. We, we never owned it. We didn't have a VCR until way late. Yeah. So whenever it was on TV, we always watched it, no matter what. Yeah, I, like you, I did not see this in the theater. I believe, Eric, the first time I saw this movie was when it was playing on television. And I believe we were at Nancy Noyer's, Nancy Noiser's house. I that I don't know because I, I the only thing I could say is I can't remember a time when I didn't hadn't seen this movie. Yeah. Like it's yeah. so right. ingrained into my memory I can't think of a time of like the first time that I saw it. Yeah, it it's is, like when did like, I first hear of Mickey Mouse or when did I you know like it just yeah. was a part of Yeah. So watching this movie yeah. Um, we often, or I say we, it's mostly me. Uh, when I see some of these movies from some of these distinctive directors, Wes Anderson, I will often say, like, in my mind, I'm ranking that movie on how Wes Anderson is this Wes Anderson movie. Yeah. And the last three. I don't know, a handful of movies that Wes Anderson done. Like, oh, he's, he's, this is Wes Anderson at 11. Like, he, right. this is peak. He's like just doing all his tricks and it's very, you can tell his style from the get go or Fincher or whoever. Is Close Encounters the most Spielberg of Spielberg's movies? Whoa. He does all his tricks. Uh, it's got all the hallmarks, all the tropes. E.T. might, one, I was one just one about up. to say, like, the only one that can beat it, I think, is E.T. That was my going to be yeah. my response, too. I think that's the right answer. This thing is really close, though. It's Yeah, I mean, it's even got, like, the little kid superb actor acting. It's got, you know, the connection of whoever to this child. It's like this childlike... Um, uh, mystique and kind of like magical or whatever but the child yeah. understands it and the the adults don't and right. all of the, that like it's the adults or the authority figures are always dumb and and don't get it yeah the, the kid always gets it yeah yeah it's uh, a lot of the same characters and yeah. even sort of themes of e of et are from this movie just turned yeah. up totally totally uh so this is 1977, mm -hmm. and watching it, I mean, it's, of course, the fashion and the cars and stuff is going to date it as 1977. Is this, do we think, if we had to pick an, uh, an ideal sort of time to make this movie for Steven Spielberg, is oh. this his ideal time that where he would want to make a movie in this time like he i don't think knowing spielberg what, is going like, to make something knowing what today could be is 
is would he choose that time period to I mean, make it even like yeah. if he knows the technology of today the happenings of today yeah. all of that like, would he pick making a movie in yeah 1977 or would he pick to make right. a movie in 2023 yeah. okay like wes anderson is gonna set it in 1963 or something you know 67 or whatever because uh, he's got that sort of 60s aesthetic to his mm-hmm. uh, a lot of his uh, uh, look. I think Spielberg's like preferred era is like that late 70s period. Yeah, late 70s, early 80s, maybe yeah. getting into the E.T. Yeah. Uh, time period. But he did really like what he could do with Jurassic Park. Yeah, but those are. Yeah. To, to the to the point of where the technology was and it was so mind-blowing yeah. when that came out like i think oh, he, i'm not saying as a, but i think he loved that like he loved he likes pushing the thinking and getting the big reaction from the crowds right so he got that with okay what he was doing with jaws and et on kind of i'm saying this the setting of the story oh what if he set Jurassic Park in 1977? <laughs> that would have been like with the bell bottoms and oh the whole God. deal. I think that's I what know. it would like. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that, but it was, he was definitely in his element. Like he was. This movie's awesome, by the way. It, Let's just say this. It story. is, it is for sure in my top 10. Oh, really? Yes. Yes. It is a rewatchable movie. If I catch the first two minutes, I'm watching the whole thing. If I catch the last two minutes, I'm going to watch that two minutes. I'm going to watch it at any point if I see that it's on. Yeah. It's so good. What do you think, Eric? I don't know that it's in my top ten, but I definitely would agree that everything stops when it's on. Yeah. Yeah. How long is this movie? I can't get a running. It's over two hours. I know that because I was, it's like between 208 and 215, I think, depending on which version. Yeah. Yeah, There's, yeah, that's a whole thing too with the, um, there's like three different versions. Yeah. Yes. There's actually, I think there might even be four because technically the version that they would air on TV has never been, from what I read today, has never been released. Yeah, um, like, it's like disc a, or digital. So there's kind of like four a, versions of it. It's a Frankenstein's down. monster of all the the three versions. Yeah. yeah, there's a director. There's the theatrical director's cut, and then a special edition. Right. Um. So I focused on something in this movie that I always focus on. That I focused on it. The first time I saw this movie, okay. we talked about it a little bit last night. Um, that I want to bring up in this part of the discussion. Okay. The aliens. Yes. I'm jumping all the way to the aliens. Wow. Okay. Spoiler alert. I never got it. It never made sense to me. Okay. There are three wholly different types of creatures that come out of the mothership. Okay. And I, I, I never, I couldn't wrap my head around it. Okay, insanity. And I'll go last to first because the first one is what I want to talk about. Okay, the last one we see is that stop motion 
uh, uh, alien that does the hand movements. Right. Um, then the, there's all the little kids dressed in costumes. <laughs> Don't you mean aliens? Yeah. <laughs> By the way, they were all uh, a bunch of little girls. Yeah, from a ballet class I saw. Hyperactive ballet class and that uh, uh, Spielberg would often have to start takes by shouting, girls, stop disco dancing. <laughs> Fantastic. Not dancing, disco dancing. That's according to Bob Ballard. Oh my God, that's good. That's awesome. Um, so that was the middle one. The first alien we see is that spider monkey of an alien that comes out <laughs> Right. Daddy long legs. Yeah. Daddy long legs, where he has two sets of knees in each leg, and then when they cut to the uh, scientist or whoever looking at him, especially that one tall scientist with the white hair, yeah, who's yeah. super prominent, but is like yeah. nothing, nobody. nobody. Yeah, I don't know why they, he's in every shot. Um, when they cut to him, he's looking down at the alien as if that thing is like. 26 inches tall. I don't know what the deal is. But looking down at it matters. Who cares? Are you picking out a continuity issue with this is Steven Spielberg? Just How dare you. my own obsession from when I was 10 years old watching this movie. Uh, and then the, he stands up and he's like 18 feet tall. Right. I don't know what's going on with that thing. And then all of a sudden it disappears. There's no it, it doesn't you don't see it walk back into the thing. It doesn't come down and interact with any of the people it's just like a weird shot of this ridiculous spider alien and it's gone i it, it, i don't understand it. i always just assumed when in when i was a kid i just assumed it was one of the parents of all of the little <laughs> yeah i thought the yeah i thought the small ones were the kids really? the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> all right like it's like the parents like letting kids out at the playground and they're gonna walk around for a little bit while they're so yeah when, you, when you're yeah, family road trip, and you yeah. go to the rest stop, and you let the kids out and run around a little bit. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Get their wiggles out. In the car. Yep. So, there is an answer. I found an answer to this. Okay. And it is in the documentary. Okay. Uh, the making of documentary that right. I did not have time to watch after the movie. It's an hour and 40 minutes. Right, the, it's a movie. Yeah. Uh, the answer is from Spielberg. Okay. I wanted to show that an that the alien world that on the alien world there were also different races. So there was the race of the long willowy aliens, and there was this race of the short bulbous head aliens, and then there's this race of this very skinny alien with the that does the, the hand movements. Yes. I wanted to show that like here there are different races there. Great. That I don't know. That was not communicated. I never yeah. got that vibe in the past. 40 it's, years, but yeah, that's an answer, but I've never heard that discussed. And that's just me. This is all just me obsessing about this since I was fucking 10 years old. Right. And it, uh, I wanted it's an a, answer and I never a, heard anything. It's a, it's a good one. It's a good one. It might, it, <laughs> which I, I, I can't remember if it was in what we saw or if I saw somewhere else, but the alien that, does the hand yeah. signals looks like Barry? Oh, it and absolutely I think... looks like Barry. It's definitely <laughs> the alien version of Barry. It, it is. And I think I heard that that was somewhat intentional. 
Yes, I read I read that today too. That they um, Spielberg gave like the picture a picture of berries for them to use as a reference. Yes, <laughs> yes. Well, they fucking missed. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, box office performance. Okay. 1977. I don't think we've done this, but there are some fantastic All right. entries into this uh, top 10. Okay. Uh, Star Wars, the first one, uh, 307 million in 1977. That's a new hope. Yeah. Okay. Uh, number two, Smokey and the Bandit. Oh. <laughs> 126 million. Oh my God. So, Three hundred million in nineteen seventy-seven is roughly like one point three billion. Oh my god! Yeah. So, Smoking the Bandit. I don't know. Do the math. It's like a five hundred million dollar movie. This. Wait, what was the year. box office then? One twenty-six. Wow. So yeah, a little less than half of Star Wars. But oh my god, that's an that's insane. insane. Number. number three, Close Encounters, one hundred and sixteen. I cannot believe that came in third, is second behind Smoking the Bandit. It. This movie came out in November. Oh, all right. It had a, a limited release, limited meaning two. Were they afraid it wasn't going to? Two theaters. Wow. One in LA, one, one in New York. York. Then it did well for like three weeks, like, like blew everything out of the water. It was number one at those theaters for three weeks straight. Yeah. Then they released it wide like in mid December. Why did the, to create a buzz? Uh, well, Spielberg I mean, doesn't really know. He doesn't like that they did it that way. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so number four, Saturday Night Fever. Ooh. Number five, A Bridge Too Far. Mm-hmm. Number six, The Deep. Mm-hmm. Number seven, The Spy Who Loved Me. Mm-hmm. Number eight, Oh God. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Is Terry Garr in that? I think she is. I think. I think she is. Nine was Annie Hall. Wow. Number 10 was Semi-Tough. I don't even know that Burt one. Reynolds. Wow. He had two top 10s. He was in the top 10. Wow. Two top 10s for Burt Reynolds. Two top 10s, Terry Garr. Yeah. Wow. That's the 70s for you. Uh, so Close Encounters took in $116 million. The budget was just under 20 Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about the releases. So yeah, he uh, he didn't like it at first. It was rushed to get out. And uh, he didn't like their marketing strategy and the way they put it out there um, uh, as far as the uh, limited release and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spielberg was not happy with it. Yeah, from what I was reading, it was um, Columbia Pictures was on the verge of bankruptcy and they really pushed him to get it out as yeah. fast as possible. That's why there is the extended version or whatever they call it, special mm-hmm. edition. Yeah. And then there's also the, the uh, uh, director's cut. Got it. He was rushed to get it out. Uh, didn't finish all the shots he wanted to get done. And the editing took a mm-hmm. lot of effort. So the, the theatrical version was not what the his finished version. Interesting. They said, okay, we'll do some reshoots um, for this special edition. And he's like, great, I want to do this, this, and this. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We want you, you need to show the inside of the spaceship. Right. 
And he's like, no, that's not, that doesn't work for me. That's not, yeah. I want the, every audience member to have their own imagination for what the inside would be. They're like, no, you got you got to shoot the inside. Yeah. Like, okay. I'll shoot the inside if I can do these other shots as well. Said, yeah. Okay. But he did like this half-assed shooting of the in, the interior of the uh, mothership, which yeah. is, it's, it's nothing. It's barely there. Correct. I, I wrote that down actually, because in most of what you find, yeah. like that plays on like streaming services or if it's running on like a, you know, cable movie channel or whatever, it does not have the section with the inside of the ship. Yeah. And so I'm like, did I imagine that as a kid? I like, know. I swear I saw the inside of that ship. And I remember something that I thought looked like an upside down Christmas tree in there. So then that, they re, yep, they re-released the special edition. Yeah. Shortly after, like a year after, like right. You know, this came out in late '77. Like in '78, it was the special edition. Um, and then Spielberg in the director's cut put out all that took crap. It, took bit. it all back out. Yeah. So today, I, this yeah. evening, I was like going between the three, trying to like look at the end yeah. of the movie to see what what made the director's cut, and the inside did not make it. It was only in the special edition. Yeah. Um, and it's nonsense. It like. At one point, it sort of reminded me, and I know it's a totally, it's a different director, but the the distant shot of all of the levels of the ship that yeah. has all the different aliens and people in it yeah. reminded me of like a George Lucas trick in Star yeah. Wars, like when right. they show like the whole, in in the newer, the, the, uh, uh, first trilogy or prequels. Um, they show like the Senate, and it's like all of these yeah. like big, you know, um, wide angle shots. And uh, sure. yeah, it was. Eh. Yeah, who cares? That's not the point of the story. No, <laughs> no one cares. Okay, Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. What do we think the audience gave Close Encounters? This is as close to saying 100 as I think I want to give. Mm -hmm. I'm going to hedge my bet and say 99. There might be one Yahoo out there that's like, no way. Eric, what do you think? Yeah, again, uh, 95 is essentially 100, but I'll say 95. All right. The audience gave this movie 85%. Get out of here. 85%? (laughs) No way. Yep. There are a lot of Yahoo's out there. 85? I know. 15 out of 100 people gave it a thumbs down? That can't be true. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the critics. What do we think the critics... What was the critic score? Oh, they had to have encounters? loved it. I got John Williams in there. We got <laughs> Steven Spielberg. I'm going to say 96%. They're going to like the special effects. They're going to like the drama. I think they're going to like it. 96. Eric, what do you think? 
Mm, uh, the audience scores got me spooked a little bit. I will say 90. So the audience was 85. The critics gave it 94. Hmm. 94% the critic. All right. I think the critics are like easier than the audience for most of the movies that we've talked about. Yeah. Yeah. We always think the audience is easier. I think it's the other way. Yeah. All right. Trivia. There's all kinds of insanity with this movie. There is a lot out there on this. It's a lot of little stuff, too. A lot of little technical That's crap. because it's Spielberg. I know. Um, I did like... <clears throat> Let's see. Where are we starting? This Spielberg originally conceived of this as a combination of his love of UFOs and a Watergate-like conspiracy. Yep. Called and he called it the uh, Watch the Skies. So he wanted government cover up and UFOs. was that Watch the Skies? Was that sort of in the commercial or yeah, the trailer? All those or commercials and stuff yeah. were Watch right. the Skies. So the title, the title. Uh, the name of this movie is if you focus group this title, it would never get out. Nobody would yeah. want like what does that mean? Who, who it's clunky, it doesn't say no one knows what this is. It's a mouthful, yeah. Yeah. So despite the title, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Barry and the other abductees were actually involved in a case of close encounters of the fourth kind. I know. I did I did see that. Which denotes abduction by ex- extraterrestrial beings. However, the phrase the close encounters of the fourth kind had not been invented yet, so he couldn't <laughs> say it. So uh the first kind is when you spot something in the sky and there's no evidence. The second kind is when the UFO leaves some sort of physical trace, burns on the ground, broken branches, whatever. The third kind is when you make contact with the UFO uh, and you see some alien pilot on board or like you know see a being. You see a being. Yeah. yeah. You realize there's a life form there. All right. So this is the fourth kind, actually. Interesting. So, terrible name and inaccurate. All right. Way to go, Spielberg. <laughs> uh this might be my favorite piece of trivia and it's also the most obvious and the thing I thought was the case forever. Okay. Spielberg wanted the air traffic controller's dialogue to sound as authentic as possible so he hired real (laughs) air traffic controllers. That dude Yep. Who does all the talking in that scene. Yep. Of course he's a real air traffic controller. Yes. That guy nails it. Yes. I saw that too. Yep. Yeah, I've always thought like, who is that guy? Because he's doing he did a lot. He did a lot of studying (laughs) of what what real guys sound like. Yeah, Uh, we talked about the interior of the spaceship. Blah blah blah. Director's cut. Who cares? Okay. During the movie, Allison had these wanted to know more information about Barry. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's why. Did you read all the stuff about Barry? Oh, I found yes. This is in the director's cut as well, or the, the uh, uh, documentary as well. Okay. Which I found online. So, 
the reaction shots of Barry seeing the aliens for the first time and the faces in he the makes kitchen. in the kitchen. In the kitchen. There's a couple different places that I have here. Uh, they call them one take Barry or, or, or yeah. one take Harry is the real name. Because um, he made all these faces the first time and they, they, they couldn't replicate it because what they were doing off screen was so unique they couldn't do it again but, it wouldn't or he would expect it he would expect right it. so one of the times you know when they when they show him looking out the window and he goes toys toys uh what's uh, it was spielberg's slowly unwrapping presence <laughs> and that's why he was so in, like looking at, out there and he, he was like yeah a, a, a interested look and then all of a sudden he's like toys because he was unwrapping yeah. toys and whenever he would do it, he would get to keep the toys. Like, yeah. Oh, my God. The toys. And then when he comes around the corner with the uh, stuff strewn out of the, the, the fridge on the ground. Yeah. Uh, and he has those reaction shots to theoretically seeing the aliens uh, in the uh, kitchen or whatever. And that, that face. Uh, Spielberg had uh, the... A couple of crew guys, one was, I think it was a cameraman or somebody, but the, the, the two guys uh, dressed in outfits behind like cardboard boxes. And one was in a clown suit, one was in a gorilla's costume. And he, for the first one, he dropped the box and he saw the clown suit and he was sort of, sort of scared. He, that's the first reaction you get. Yeah. And then he sort of warms up to him and kind of smiles a little bit. And then he drops the cardboard box for the gorilla guy and he sees the gorilla and he's scared for a second and then spielberg tells the guy take your mask off and he takes the mask off and it's one of the barry's favorite barry uh carrie's favorite crew members uh so that that's when he smiles at the second right too. right right so uh, they're all real reactions to like stuff you would do to make a kid laugh or smile or right be or be a little spooked or whatever yeah. like yeah yeah but we were wondering about that. Yeah. I mean, everyone's it's all so good. It's so good. Those expressions awesome. are just amazing. The fact that he didn't run off or yeah. say something or wave or, you know, I don't know. Amazing. Uh, Stanley Kubrick was so impressed by the kid's performance that he wanted him to play Danny Torrance in The Shining. Oh, really? But they couldn't do it because of schedule conflicts. Oh, interesting. Can you... Eric, can you imagine Barry as Danny Torrance? Uh, no. <laughs> the answer is no. Yeah, the, the only other thing that I ever saw that I can remember ever seeing that kid in is he was Timmy in Poison Ivy. <coughs> wow. Oh. The TV movie with Michael J. Fox and Nancy McKeon. He was the kid that couldn't <laughs> swim. Oh my god. Have you seen him as an adult? He looks just like Barry. He looks exactly the same. I haven't seen it. I know he obviously doesn't act anymore, but like he if I remember I think I read somewhere he had got like a he's got his MBA and he works for like a finance firm sure. or something in Alabama. Wow. Okay. Um the words that the crowd in India chant are Aya Re Aya, which means he has come. 
in Hindi. Oh. Pretty obvious. There. Yep. I mean, we all knew that, or we knew something, something like that was being said. Uh, the famous five-tone sound okay. in this movie. You can hear it somewhere else. And I went back and I I saw this. I'm like, no way. There's no, I went and looked the video up and you can, it's clear as day. It You can hear it again in the James Bond movie Moonraker when one of the guys taps in a code into a keypad. Oh my do, God. Do, 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 do. Wow. Yep. Interesting. Okay. Is that where it's it came ridiculous. from? Ridiculous. No, 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 no. They they reused they it. They use that. it. <laughs> it was created for this movie by uh uh uh-huh. uh John Williams. Yeah. Uh that's what I thought. Spielberg. Um okay. Somehow it got reused for a keypad sound in a James Bond movie. Interesting. Crazy. Uh so we talked about the uh air traffic controlled guys, the synthesizer technician performer who does all the stuff on yeah. the runway, uh, was an actual engineer sent by ARP Instruments to install the synthesizer, and they just used him in the movie. <laughs> just like a... Just a guy. A guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on the bottom of the mothership, when it yep. comes around the corner, or over the top, I guess, uh, R2-D2 can be seen hanging from the bottom... Of one yep. of the ledges. Yep. I actually went back and looked and you can definitely see it. Yeah. Really? Yep. When um, Jillian is on the side of the mountain yeah. and you the, the mothership comes into view for the first time. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's just like an R2-D2 shape basically silhouetted with a like a, a light or two behind it kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I did see that um, the model that they used for the movie it's on display at the Smithsonian the Air and Space Museum at the Smithsonian. Oh cool. Is it laid up? Actually go see it. Is it is it life size? <laughs> so it's like nine, I think you said it was nine feet tall or wide. It's still huge. It's not yeah, it's mild big. Uh the underside of the mothership those Lights and stuff was inspired by the lights of the San Fernando Valley at night. Oh, great. Wow. <laughs> and that concludes the trivia portion of what I have here. All right. I have a bunch of things. Yeah. You took some of mine. Um, so the most interesting thing and like looking back and thinking about it, it's like, oh, yeah, of course. But Roy displays all the symptoms of PTSD oh, yeah. following the um, the incident in the truck and how things unfold and how he becomes like really obsessed and, and like angry and irritable and like things falling apart with the family and becoming isolated and kind of all of those things. But PTSD wasn't really ever identified as a term until the nineties with desert storm. Um, So I thought, even though, I mean, clearly that's 
PTSD I mean, has existed. It was called shell shock. But yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm like, oh yeah, of course that makes. I, so I, that's one thing I wrote down when we were talking about the seventies uh, uh, and uh, all adults or, or authority figures are dumb. And a lot of uh, Spielberg's early movies. Um, why does he seems, he seems to not realize he does and he doesn't. Uh, like, he doesn't tell anybody, like, do you realize I'm fucked up because of this encounter I had? Like, he doesn't quite say that to the, the Frenchman and, or anybody else. It's obvious. He kind of says it to, to, to his family, but... Yeah, he, he 100% says it to his family. Yeah, but I feel like it wasn't... Uh, it wasn't as highlighted as I would have wanted to. So at the dinner table, so speaking of like him, like laying it all out there, the dinner, um, the dinner table. Um, but at the very beginning, when the little girl yeah. says there's a dead fly in my potatoes, that was not scripted. Right. That just happened. And like everybody was trying to not laugh. And so I went back and looked and like you could see like R Richard Dreyfus like has his hand over his mouth and like slowly closes his eyes like like he took like a deep breath wow. before he says his line because it just was not what anybody was expecting. <laughs> um, I did not have a chance to go back and look, but apparently Carl Weathers um, was a... a part of the military police at yeah. the train station yeah so i gotta go back and check that out but i remember seeing him i have seen that like maybe once before yeah that scene um another crazy thing i could not find him but apparently word on the street is that jerry garcia is was an extra in the india scene so he was like <laughs> in the crowd all right um, but I went back and I kept looking and I could not find them. That's going to be a tricky one. I know. Um, the missing planes that oh, yeah, yeah, appeared yeah. Yeah. in the desert and the, ship. and the ship, but the planes were based on a real disappearance of U.S. Navy Flight 19. Um, and, and the names that were listed at the end um, at that of people that had gotten off the ship were like, weren't the exact same names, but they were like plays on yeah, the names yeah, of yeah. those pilots. The planes and the ship were supposedly uh, disappearances that happened in the Bermuda Triangle. Got it. Yeah. And something that I read too is like they they still don't know what happened to that to the planes, the Flight 19. Yeah. But they supposedly did identify a wreck uh, shipwreck in the Bermuda, Bermuda Triangle that they say is that ship. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, so they, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so they the, sh the ship definitely did sink, but they yeah. still have no clue what happened to the planes. Got it. <clears throat> the dog that gets off the um, <laughs> spaceship yeah. is a Cocker Spaniel named Elmer, and that is Steven Spielberg's dog. Wow. Oh, I did forget one. Okay. Uh, what did I say? Oh, the uh, aliens. 
Yes. Uh, the stop motion puppet with the hands was known as Puck. Oh. <laughs> that was the name for it. All right. That makes sense. Perfect. <laughs> um, I've got two more little things. One. I have casting stuff after this. This is not, none of it is casting. Yeah. Um, the interview questions that were used yeah. in the little trailer or wherever they were yeah. are used to determine what type of encounter. So that's why they progress the way that they do to determine if it's like a first kind, second kind, third kind oh, type oh, encounter. Oh. Yeah. So, you know, it starts with like the ringing in the, like, did you, and then it gets to, did right. did you see anything that you oh, couldn't quite cool. explain. So um, I thought that was interesting how the questions gradually yeah. progressed yep. um, the way that they did. So yep. um, I thought that was cool. And then the last thing that I had, um, and it's obvious now, I don't know that I it fully registered for me, but in the end, as he is about to board the ship, it's more prominent when in the special edition when he's on in the ship and you can mm. kind of see the inside the music has a portion of when you wish upon a star mm. melody in it which i mean for obvious reasons it ties into that but remember at the beginning he talked pinocchio. about how much he loved pinocchio yeah. that movie and yeah. all of that stuff so That's... i thought that was kind of a cool little not there. That there is Spielberg. Right that there. is a hundred percent Spielberg. Uh, Eric, did you have any? Yeah. Uh, you covered them all. Okay. Thanks. Casting issues. Uh, issues. I always like when you say issues because it always makes it sound like there were problems. Well, I mean, situations, potentials. Even... Okay. Uh, People who are almost cast. Got it. Uh, I'll do the easy one first. Uh, Ronnie. Uh, what's her name? Terry Gar. Ronnie Neary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Terry Gar. Uh, the only other one I, I see was Meryl Streep auditioned for it. Whoa. But she was young. Yeah. Like she was just out of school. Maybe was still in school. Yeah, I mean, Meryl Streep is a great actress, but Terry Gar freaking nails this part. Like, it's yeah. perfect. So he saw her. No, different one. No. Um, yeah, I, that's an easy one. Uh, okay, Claude Lacombe. Uh huh. The uh, his first name Claude. He's the French guy. Yes. So watching it last night, I kept thinking, like, why? Why would they have make him French? Mm -hmm. like, did the French have some sort of were they leading the UFO deal? Like <laughs> or yeah. like leading the so UFO the Eiffel, research? The Eiffel Tower is like a beacon. Well, <laughs> I was just saying that. But like <laughs> where the Russians were like leading the way in uh like space exploration, right. like were the French was that their thing? Um, I didn't find that. But uh the reason he's French, he was based on a famous UFO researcher, Jacques Vallée. Hmm. Uh, and some of the actors considered for the part were, they're all French actors. I could name them, but we don't know any of the names. Uh, Lino Ventura, 
Eves Montand. <laughs> I'm just saying I'm Dave Beethoven. Yeah. <laughs> well, I got Eves. Uh Jean Louis printed. Oh, I'm not gonna get that one. Jean Louis, which is Crates Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but it went to obviously uh, Francois Truffaut, Truffaut, Truffaut. Um, and he was a director slash actor. What? So, I'm laughing at my own joke. <laughs> <laughs> so the main, the interesting one here is Roy. Okay. And again, take all of these with a grain of salt, but. Um, People who were up for this role in some capacity included Steve McQueen, Dustin Hoffman, Al Pacino, Jack Nicholson, Gene Hackman, hmm. and James Caan, who all turned them down, supposedly. Turned Spielberg down. It sounds like the usual suspects for 1977. It totally does, but also Spielberg wasn't Spielberg. I mean, he just, he did have Jaws. Yeah. But so he didn't have that pull. I mean, Dreyfus was in Jaws. Like, why wouldn't he have been at the top of his list? Why do we? I didn't see that. I I did I did read actually that uh, Spielberg, while making Jaws, was talking already about Close Encounters. Yeah. And Richard Dreyfus overhearing him talking about it, he was very interested in it. Yeah. And Dreyfus got into Steven Spielberg's ear about it enough to say he wanted to be a part of it that he talked about yeah, it. Yeah, was, he was pushing for it, but Spielberg wanted somebody else, apparently. Mm-hmm. Or the studio wanted the bigger name. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it was, but all those people, some of them could have worked, but Dreyfus was good. That's all I got. Okay. <clears throat> Of of all those na- other names that were listed, I guess like Dustin Hoffman might be like the closest to Richard Dreyfus. Yeah, who could play somebody kind of getting going a little, uh, getting a little unhinged. I kind would of thing. have liked to have seen the Gene Hackman version of it. I think it would be way too serious. He he wouldn't. He's not quite the, especially then didn't have the comedic timing. I don't think that he did. Lex Luthor. I know, but. It was like right at the same time. Yeah, I don't think he had. He wouldn't have had the ball. The the, uh, ball the blind uh, the blind guy in Young Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Oh maybe you could have. Uh, okay, it's a recasting debate. It's time to recast debate. Better close the door. It's time to recast debate. I only did the four. Uh, Roy, Jillian, Ronnie, and Cloud. Claude. Um, I added the translator. I I had him down too, but I'm like, I don't, I, whatever. Could have been anybody, really. Uh-huh. Um, fine. Let's start with Roy. Eric, give us your Roy Neary, the Richard Dreyfus part. I don't. I feel like I say this every time, but for some reason I struggled a lot more with casting this movie than with others. I don't know. Hmm. I I guess as I think about this movie, looking back on it, 
Richard Dreyfus was only thirty years old when I know they made. He was crazy young, and I feel as I think about him even now, I think of him as being so much older. So to yeah, find like the right uh, age range was. I think weird. for a movie like this, I mean, for me especially, uh, I'm usually the age stickler. I threw that out the window for the most part. Uh, I consider I, I considered who's going to have like kids. Like they'd have to yeah. be like, you know. So I was looking at like 30s and 40s. Yeah. Um. I I, I came up with two names. Um. In no particular order. Um. Daniel Kaluuya. Mm-hmm. And Ryan Gosling. Oh, I, I was expecting the first one to come up. I was not expecting Ryan Gosling. All right, I almost had Kalua, Kaluuya uh, on my list of a couple different people. <clears throat> well, the main guy, yes. Um, Ryan Gosling. Yeah, I think that's actually a good one. Mm-hmm. I didn't even consider him, but I think that's a good one. Uh, okay. The guy that I I want to cast in this is too old. Okay. So I want a younger version of Paul Giamatti. <laughs> and I, I often put him in the, these right. things, but I thought he would work in that. It's the curly hair. Probably. <laughs> he I like him in the, the crazy part of this role. Right. Like the the yep. manic, yep. nutty role. Um, I'm going to go off of type a bit. I'm going to go Paul Rudd. Oh, again, age is not an issue for me at this point. Uh, the one that I'm gonna, my number one that I like, it's a very different version of this character. Or of, I mean, this is a different Roy. It's not Dreyfus inspired. I'm doing for real. Charlie Day. Charlie Day is my Roy in interesting my close encounters. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I can maybe see it. I think you can pull it off. All right. Al, who's your Roy? I have a lot of, I had actually problems narrowing it down mm-hmm. um, to who I would pick. Um, what I was trying to find is somebody that could go from kind of family man to kind of a little unhinged and I had a lot of names and I'm even struggling right now I'm kind of vamping to kind of pick who I'm going to pick one of the people I have is Shia LaBeouf (laughs) I mean it's not a bad one necessarily but he's just so wacky I can't I know I can't you know I've got Adam Driver. <laughs> yeah. And I think I'm going to put, oh gosh, I'm I'm really tied between Miles Teller and Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh. Mm. I would lean Gyllenhaal myself, but yeah, those are good ones. Yeah. Oh, so, sure. Yeah. That's good. 
All right. Uh, let's go with Jillian Geiler. Okay. I think that's how you pronounce her name, mm -hmm. her last name in the movie that we never hear. Um, okay, this I'll go first because I had I didn't know where to go with this one. So I have a theme of starting with the younger version of someone. Okay. Because all these characters are younger, uh, I'm going to go with a younger Jennifer Aniston. Is my number two. For, for... A younger Jen, so time machine. Yeah. You're time machining. I'm time machining. Okay. All of my backups are time machine. Okay. <laughs> Uh, in reality, I think this is a name I don't think I brought up ever as a recasting person. Maybe I have. I think you have, though. Uh, Shailene Woodley. Oh, is yeah. my Jillian. Just put her down. Yeah, I think that would work. Mm. Uh, Eric, give us a Jillian. Um. I have either Florence Pugh, yeah, or Elizabeth Olsen. Ooh, I had her somewhere else potentially, but she's coming off my list now. Oh. She's cast in Jillian's role. Wow! So, all right, uh, Al, give us your Jillian. Um, I, I I wrote down this name to start, and you're probably not gonna like it. But again, was trying to think about how to play kind of what appears to be a single mom, mm -hmm. a bit tougher, um, and would like fight, like to protect her son, and like uh -huh. go like do all this chasing got Kristen Stewart. Yeah, I mean, it's a different kind of a character. It's a different character. I've got Brie Larson, second. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And my top, though, is Tessa Thompson. Okay. I wanted to put her in this movie as well. I had trouble with this one. I, I'm, I'm with Eric. I had trouble casting this movie, I think. I had a few names that came up, but mm -hmm. it was tough. All right, going. Eric didn't give his. He gave his Jillian. You did? Yeah, I did. Oh, my bad. They're just they're that forgettable. <laughs> uh, oh, that's right. You had Elizabeth Olsen. Yeah. Going with my theme of my backups are time machine version. Uh, so this is Ronnie Neary, played by Terry Gar. Because of the obvious connection, I'm doing time machine Lisa Kudrow. <laughs> wow, you're going into the friends. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I, Kudrow well, and Jennifer Aniston are in my uh, one of my versions. Interesting. Of... Interesting. And okay. In in the friends universe, Terry Gar is right. Right. That's that's why I did it. If, if the extended universe, Terry Gar can play Lisa's mom, then Lisa can play Terry Gar in this bizarre world. Uh, so that, that's a backup. My second backup was already said, Brie Larson. Okay. I think my number one, strictly, well, yeah, my number one is Jennifer Lawrence as the top. Oh, of course. Person. Yeah. I think that fits. Um, yeah. 
Al, give us your Ronnie. Okay. <clears throat> um, I've got Brenda Song. Mm. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Who could play kind of That's like good. the <clears throat> wife that goes nuts on him. It's basically her from the social network. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. I've got, I'm going to go Carrie Mulligan. Mm. Okay. But I think my top pick is going to be Blake Lively. I almost had her. I, I, oh. Yeah, I thought about her. Yeah. I absolutely had her on my short list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Uh, Eric, give us Ronnie. I don't, there's only one name that I, and then I'm even going to say, because I don't even, I like the other, I dislike the other <laughs> names down that much. Yeah. Um, I'm going to, and I'm dipping into a well that Brendan dipped into earlier. And I'm going to say, because I, I want somebody that will flip out and she flips out a lot on from what she, what we all know her from. But it's just having tweak it a little bit to into a different uh, mm-hmm. area or type of performance. But Caitlin Olson, Sweet D from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> oh, that is who. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. That's actually really good. Yeah. I like it. I like that a lot. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that a lot. Would you put McElhaney uh, then in? You could do a recast. You could totally, I mean, I, I, cast I swap. Charlie Day. <laughs> you could do a full cast you swap. A full cast swap. Have Dennis be the uh, the French guy? <laughs> yeah. And Mac be the interpreter? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Claude Lacombe, mm-hmm. Frenchie McFrench. Uh, there is, I think there is only one answer. <laughs> I'm going to give you a second one just because I found it and I'm just going to mention it. My number two for this guy is hmm, Jean Dujar- du- Dujardin, uh, the French guy from The Artist. Yeah. Uh, he was also the banker in Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. He's my backup. Uh-huh. If I need another Frenchman right. somewhere, he's there. The only answer is Vincent Castle. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't write it down. I went with different. I didn't do the research to know why it had to be French. It so did, I just yeah, picked some other yeah. um, person for mine. But I wanted... To get a French guy, and I'm like, oh, Vincent yeah. Castle is right. the French right. actor. Right, that is the only <laughs> answer if you're casting yeah. Frenchie. Yeah. Uh, Eric, do you have a Frenchie? Um, or a Claude? He's not French. He's not French, but he's <laughs> proven to be very fluent in French. Mm. I penciled in Christophe Waltz. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's good. You're bringing a lot of gravitas to this uh, French uh, UFO expert. Oh, yeah. 
There's always Gerard Depardieu. Yeah. <laughs> or don't. Al? I didn't go with any French um, yeah. speaker or um, actor, but I went with who could play kind of the um, excited um, person. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got Pedro Pascal. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And then I went <clears throat> totally different. And I went with Hiro, Hiroyaki, Hiroyuki Sanada, Sanada. God dang it. I totally blocked. Hiroyuki Sanada. He was in John Wick. He was the, you've, you know, yeah. this actor. He was the, um, the hotel owner in John Wick for the Japanese guy that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's awesome. He's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And then similarly, I went with Donnie Yen. But I I like the idea of having an Asian. Someone just saw John Wick this weekend. Yes. (laughs) Although neither are in either any of the ones that I saw. But yeah, John Wick on the mind. Well, I was looking. No, I was looking for famous foreign language actors. And was trying to find somebody that it would it would almost have to be like um you know yeah unusual to have somebody that that would not speak English I guess even yeah. then it would be had I not had Vincent Castle top of mind I would have gone yeah. to a different country and found or yeah region and found well I had him too but I knew one of you guys yeah. would so I didn't <laughs> put him down I tried well. We're not done yet, I guess. Uh, any bonus people? I did. Uh, I did lawful in the interpreter. Yeah, me yeah, too. Yeah. Okay. Give us an interpreter. Um, first name I did. I don't know. He, that lawful character. He always. He didn't. Not shy, but sort of like. Uh. Sort of mild mannered, sensitive. Yeah. Sort of character. Um, and that's, that is where I first sort of, that's where I first thought of Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but but yeah. then, um, because the whole point of him was, is being able to speak French, I actually Googled, like, Hollywood actors that are fluent in French. <laughs> yep. Wow. And, again, these are going to be names that are way too big for the part, but... I think both would work. Bradley Cooper. Oh yeah. And Jodie Foster. Holy shit. Yeah. Oh my god. Wow. This is a They both read maps. Right. The cartographer first. Mm-hmm. French speaker second. All right. All right. Al, give us uh your interpreter. So David Laughlin. Yes. Um, I've got, of course, Donald Glover mm-hmm. is gonna be in here somewhere. Man, I was trying to get I know. I was gonna do like a past of Atlanta cast swap. Yeah. Didn't do that. I've got um, mm-hmm. Kieran Culkin. Wow. All right. All right. 
And then I got Jonah Hill in there. <laughs> so for all of these uh, interpreters, do all of them have big bushy beards? Yes, in, pretty in, much. I also had Riz Ahmed if I wanted to like have like another in the new version. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Kieran Culkin. I don't think Scott uh, beard big is beard, but, but the beard is part of the part. I yes. Think. Yeah. All right. No one tried to recast Barry. Uh, that would be uh, Bradley McDermott. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay. Memorable quotes or memorable scenes and quotable lines. Yep. Go ahead. <laughs> like this? Like this? That is said in our house at least once a week. Doing something, putting something away, moving something into a certain place, yeah. invariably like this gets said. I mean, the famous quote from this movie is, this means something. This means something, of course. I like the, yeah, I've got one of those in my living room. Yeah. Um, I it's do, very good. I do like that one, too. Memorable scene. Oh, go ahead, Eric. I was going to say memorable scenes from, like, I remember watching this at our grandparents' house. It was one of the, one of the first times that I saw it. And we laughed hysterically at the guy when the mothership comes, the guy gets scared and runs into the porta potty. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> That's a good. All of us <laughs> fell apart laughing. Oh, I thought that was just the pinnacle of com physical yeah. comedy was that guy running into the. He does that in Jurassic Park. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Same thing. Yeah, but he doesn't have to go to the bathroom. He's just hiding from the T Rex. I know. Yeah. Isn't isn't he also are you sure the other guy had I think he was going because he was scared shitless. I think like he had he had to go vomit or he was, yeah, he was I, no. same thing. He was scared <laughs> and hiding. Um I mean, there's nothing more iconic than Barry opening the front door. Yeah. With all the orange lights yeah. and the trees and all of that. Oh and the doggy door. Yeah. Where um, Jillian's trying to hold him back and gets pulled out. A scene that I really like because it was it's so simple but so effective. When I mean the whole scene when uh, Roy is in the pickup truck and then oh. the alien you know the the ship comes over. The but the part of it is when he sets it up. Spielberg sets it up. 45 seconds earlier with the, the car uh, headlights that come up behind the truck. Yep. And he says, go around. The car goes around and he yells at him, whatever. And then 40 another, seconds later, another comes up. See another set of lights. And he does the same wave. And then the headlights go up and yes. over. That is It is classic. Awesome. Yeah. It's so good. That's what one of my favorite in this whole movie. Yeah. yeah. That whole scene, though, with the truck, too, and the, the special effects of... Mm -hmm. All that I mean, it was such a big deal when that came out. Thanks. It yeah. was so well done. Yeah. I and I would say that whole scene back to kind of Barry with the 
opening the front door, but that whole sequence, yeah. right, of in the house, the the rug blowing up and the screws coming out of the vent yeah. and her having to close the chimney flue and so, all of that stuff. I was thinking about it, about it uh, even last night. The first half hour of this movie, 40 minutes maybe, almost plays like a horror movie. Like it's all scares and and creepiness, and I mean, it's obviously like Jaws. You can't see the uh, right. uh, the monster or the alien or the shark, but uh, it's all played like a horror movie. Like it's all stuff out of frame and the the screws coming out. And you know, if you added in like uh, a ghost here and there, it would be a completely. I mean, it would fit in as like a, a scary horror type. Yeah, movie. like Poltergeist. Yeah, Poltergeist. Perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is interesting because you don't think of Close Encounters as a yeah. scary movie. It's like a fun, awe-inspiring like know, a, sci-fi. Like a thriller yeah. in a way. Yeah. Um, Eric, you will love this or um, at least chuckle about it because I will randomly send you and Jill and Susan a, a clip that Budweiser commercial, I will never not sing along with it when he's building the giant devil's tower in his living room. I will never not sing it. It was so iconic to include that. Clydesdales. The, the Clydesdale Budweiser commercial and the uh, um, uh, Days of Our Lives. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, the, the Days of Our Lives. lives. Days yeah. of Our Lives part reminds me of Mr. Mom. Yeah. But yes. Yeah. It, this movie, and it's even said in one of these uh, I don't know, extras or whatever on the uh, the version that we have. Um, Spielberg talks about it, or, or one of the other directors talked about it. J.J. Um, Abrams, or was it uh, uh, What's-His-Face from Dune? Um, that Spielberg nails the 70s aesthetic. Oh, yeah. Of like the messy rooms and the kids and the chaotic household and everything. Uh, all of that, he nails it. Yeah. The, the chaos of that house the, the, is insane. The wall behind yeah. Roy. <laughs> we were talking about that. With the wire shelving of some sort it's, he's got milk crates that are screwed onto the wall that they're sticking things there are in no sideways. right angles yeah. everything's like no. i don't know falling off or broken it looks like it's like uh it's got like highlight or like lacrosse things like yeah. it's, there's, there's a lot of like baskets and wires and like i don't know yeah. what is going on with that wall and it's and that that's a living room and that train set in the middle of the living room <laughs> also like it's insane this isn't like oh it's the basement or it's no it's you know whatever uh uh or a side room it's the main living area of that house yeah yeah it's or are the other speaking of just being chaotic household when at the beginning of the movie and Roy's doing his best to ignore it. It's the kid oh. in the playpen, and he's smashing up that doll. Yeah. <laughs> and he's he lets it go, and lets it go, and then finally he can't pick him, where he's just like, Toby? Yeah. yeah. You are close to death. Yeah. 
I think just about every parent has experienced that. God. Every parent. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the whole thing is very very good. I love the um neighborhood like when he is yeah. throwing everything into the window and he's gets the chicken wire and all this stuff. He goes out to the street and like there's just people standing that there feels- in the neighborhood that- watching. Eric, you know the neighbors that we had that would have right. done the exact same thing, would have stood out on the street watching dad tell us to do X, Y, or Z. And they're like, what the hell That's are those very, kids? What's that family doing over Spielberg there? Spielberg thing, too, yeah. is like the nosy neighbors that are the always like within yeah. earshot. Yes. You know, yeah. Watching yeah. chaos unfold. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. All right. We could re- recap the whole movie in memorable scenes and quotable lines, but let's move on to the "How much are they worth?" game. And now let's play the "How much are they worth?" game. I've got five here. Um, we're going to start with Bob Balaban. Who's that? The interpreter. Then we're going to go to Terry Garr, then Melinda Dillon, then Richard Dreyfus, and then Spielberg. Balaban, we know from this, his stint on Seinfeld and in the uh, uh, Mighty Wind, right. know, those movies. Um, it took me a while to realize that that was him. Oh, yeah. I, I was definitely adult when I made that connection. Yes. You made the psychic connection. <laughs> yeah. Right. Bob Balaban. Yeah. Uh, been working forever. Where is it? There he is. We've got them in God's First Park, Mighty Wind, Capote, Close Encounters. Severance. 80 for Brady. (laughs) He was in all the, was he in multiple Wes Anderson? Yeah. French Dispatch. Isle of Dogs and French Dispatch. And I think he was in uh, uh, Budapest Hotel, wasn't he? Um. Moonrise Kingdom. Of, yeah, he's, a, he's like a Wes Anderson player. Man, he's got a lot of things. He's 127 actor credits. Majestic. Friends. Back to my friends connection. Wow. They're everywhere. Yeah, he, he, he's dad. Oh, really? Yep. Okay. Little man Tate. Waiting for Guffman. <laughs> okay. I've got a number. I got a number. Eric, give us... love American style. Give us a number for Bob Balaban. A lot of credits, but... A lot of supporting roles. 
Um, 20 million. 20? Yeah. Oh, I had 21. I had 12. Bob Balaban is an American actor, author, producer, and director who has a net worth of 25 million. Woo! Yeah. He's everywhere. I just didn't think he had enough. He looks like he'd invest his money wisely. <laughs> he looks bookish that he would <laughs> put in the, the work. Uh, Terry Gar, the late Terry Gar. Wait, she did die, right? Did she? Uh, Terry Gar, no, Melinda Dillon, yes. Oh, yeah. Right. She's in. Gar, she has, if I remember right, though, she has MS, so it's been a long time since she's worked. Yeah. Mm. Terry Gar, who is in pretty much every single movie of my childhood. Yeah. Like, she's got so many of your favorite movies or frequently watched movies. Yeah. 157 credits here. Just Close act. Encounters, Tootsie, Mr. Mom, Black Stallion, Young Frankenstein, just on and on and on. Young Frankenstein is so yes. great. Was heavy in the 80s, man. Dumb and Dumber. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know what to put for her. Oh, God. <laughs> she was on the show Maud, as was Bob Balaban. All right, Al, write something down. What does voice work? Uh, Okay, Eric, give us a number for Terry Gar. I'm going to say that her career kind of parallels Bob Balaban's a little bit, and I'll, I'll say 25. Dang it, that's exactly what I wrote down, Eric. I wrote down 31. Hey. There you are with two R's. Ooh. Okay. This is interesting. <clears throat> Terry Gar is an American actress, comedian, and dancer who has a net worth of six million. Woo! Mm. That doesn't sound right to me. That's disappointing. But you and it, <laughs> you guys tie for that. Wow. Those medical bills are a bitch. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, she's 78. Melinda Dillon. All you have to know really is this movie and uh, Christmas Story. Christmas Story. She 
She's done plenty of other stuff. I'm, I've sixty-two her. actress actress credits. Yeah. So we were talking about how young uh, Dreyfus is. Yeah. In this movie, I was thinking Dreyfus is super young. Terry Garb must be super young in that movie. Uh, and I thought Melinda Dillon is super young. Right. He was like thirty-eight in that movie. Really? Yeah. Mm. I was surprised. Uh, Harry and the Hendersons. Oh my <laughs> god. <laughs> she was in the Juggler of Notre Dame. Okay. Never even heard of it. Uh-huh. You won food. Thanks oh, for everything. Eric, she was in the Muppet movie. How to Make an American Film. Woman with Balloon. Uncredited. Cool. Which came after Close Encounters. <laughs> it, that was in 1979. Christmas Story. Slapshot. Yeah, like Twilight Zone. They're in the Hendersons, was 87. Prince of Tides. Yeah. He did not do a lot of big stuff after the 80s, really. Wow. Okay. Uh, I'll put her down. Yeah. I don't feel good about the number. I don't even uh allison give us your number for melinda dillon eight million eric what'd you have five i had nine they saw i mean carrie gar only had i know it's but i don't know how i don't know how to weight these yeah I want to think she got like a lot of like um, what do you call them residuals? What is it called? I know with playing well, twenty four hour of a Christmas story like every year. And she didn't have a. Yeah, it depends uh, on the contract she signed when they. Melinda Dillon is an American actress who has a net worth of three million. Wow, and we should have thought about considered our. Uh, Hesitations on there. Yeah. Eric gets that one. It's two to two. You guys yeah. are in that. All right. Now we take the two that we have already done from Jaws. And Oof. we don't remember, of course. Nothing. I blank slate. Richard Dreyfus is the first one. I finally watched American Graffiti for the first time, like a week ago. He's good in that too. Yep. He's really good. Yeah. He's a bit of a douche, but it's really good and stuff. It's been a long time since I watched that movie. Yeah. Bubble Guppies. Maybe I've only seen it once. Well, good news. I bought it for four ninety nine on iTunes. So <laughs> oh. watch it. 
He plays Madoff in the Birdie Madoff miniseries. Plays Dick Cheney in W. Mm-hmm. A lot. That was a lot of stuff. He had a lot of big roles. He also had a cocaine problem. Which may play a role in all of this. <laughs> what about Bob? Yeah. Dr. Leo Marvin. Another stakeout. Stand by me. American president, Mr. Holmes. All right. Uh, I've got a number. Mr. Holland's opus. Yep. I've got a number. Eric, give us a number for Richard Dreyfus. 40 million. No oh, shit. That makes me discount or second guess what I put. I put down 22. Ooh. I had 55. Shit. Okay. He threw me off by the cocaine problem. Ricardo Dreyfus. My part. <laughs> See, I know yes. we don't we don't know if any of these are real, but this number makes me think, in particular, that this is not real. Okay. Uh, so we're just guessing what this site says. Uh, Richard Dreyfus is an American actor who has a net worth of five million. Whoa! Cocaine is a hell of a drug, man. <laughs> Come on, that cannot be true. It can't be true. It can't be true. He's got two. He's got two divorces. Oh. <laughs> okay. Man. Three kids in the first marriage. Oh. Yeah. Jaws, Close Encounters, Goodbye Girl, Down and Out in Beverly Hills, Stakeout, Stand by Me. The American President. The American President, Mr. Holland's Opus. Etc. Etc. Um, Five million. Okay. Well, I got that one, just by default. Wow. Fucking cool. hell. All right. <clears throat> now we go to the big fish. Uh, A little-known director, independent film. Some dude named Spielberg. Apparently, this guy made Schindler's List. Mm -hmm. Oh no! Oh Lord, the Fablemans. That's what put him over the top. Yep. West Side Story. He's got producer credits. I don't care. I don't know that. Yeah, but he's got. That I mean, that don't probably matter, but... play a big part. Yeah. Like I'm saying, he was an executive producer for the Animaniacs. Really? No. <laughs> that's a throwaway and that's significant like, that's a big one 
Ready Player One, the director, uh, the director, I mean, the post. Um, Bridge of Spies, Lincoln, Warhorse, The Adventures of Tintin, Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull, Munich, War of the Worlds, Terminal, Catch Me If You Can. This is just like recently, like relatively recently. I know it even like, he's a producer in like all the Transformer movies. Yeah. Which, as terrible as they are, each make a billion dollars. Yeah. yeah. I mean, who... Men in Black. Right. He has all this stuff upcoming too, which, which I'm getting picked up on. Or picked up on. Uh, Jurassic World producer. Good God, man. Okay. 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 I wrote down something that I can't believe I wrote down. I wrote down a number that I think I'm being conservative with. How about that? Eric, give us your number for Steve Spielberg. I'm going to say 2.5 billion. Fuck. Uh, I'm an idiot. I wrote the dumbest number down. I think it's way, it's, it's so small. It's really bad. Okay. Ready? Yes. 604 million. <laughs> I knew I was undercutting it, but I didn't. 604? Yeah. Mm, I've got 1.5 billion. I, I didn't want to get close to a billion. I'm like, who knows what's going on there? He doesn't miss. He doesn't have flops that matter. No. And, <laughs> and again, like his producing so much, you know, he's taken a piece of all of those things. Like he's he's not taking a wage. He's taking a percentage. I'm sure I blew this one last time, too. I never I can never go to the extreme hug end of these guys. Ha! <laughs> Brendan just got out of his chair. <laughs> okay, I think I have uh, the record for missing by the most. Okay. I mean, I don't know what I did with the Jaws episode, but I know you had a big one. You had a big miss with uh, Scorsese. Uh, Scorsese. Or was it Lucas? Scorsese. Scorsese. Okay. Ready? Yes. I said... Remember, I said six hundred. I've, I've written that down. I've written that down. Okay. Uh, Steven Spielberg is an American director, screenwriter, and producer who has a net worth of eight billion. Eight billion with a B. Oh my God! Eric gets it. Still missing by 5.5 billion. Right. Oh my God. Oh my God. I feel like that's uh, granted, we never can remember from one time to another, but I at the same time, I feel like that's like doubled since we did Jaws. Yeah, potentially. I feel like if we did when we did a Jaws, um, we'd have to go back to the tapes. This, yeah. this, 
So the rest of his little mini description here is uh, has a net worth of eight billion and an annual income of 150 million. As of this writing, Stevens' eight billion dollar fortune makes him the second richest celebrity on the planet, behind good buddy and fellow director producer George Lucas, who is worth ten billion. Oh my god. Oh my god. When he sold yeah when he sold yeah. Lucasfilm, it was something like Lucasfilm, Industrial Light Magic, all that Star Wars everything, he got like six billion dollars. Yeah, that. That's the number I thought too. Six and that was six years ago? <laughs> Seven years ago? Five years ago? Seven years ago? I would say ten. The ten years oh ago? Oh my god. Oh yeah, maybe. Right. Oh my god. Force Awakens came out when this was a couple years before that. So, wow! Just for the record, wow! I missed. Billion. I missed <laughs> by seven point four billion. Yep, that's all. And Eric wins. Eric wins three to two. Mm-hmm. Wow! I was still off by five and a half billion. <laughs> The winner is off by five and a half million. All right. Uh, to recap, uh, this movie rocks. It's great. Um, if you haven't seen it, go out and watch it. It's great. It it is not. It does not feel dated. Like if you can just get past like the cars and a bit of the clothes. Even some of the clothes are coming back. As I was like looking at like what yeah um, Jillian's wearing, I'm like. I think I saw that in a like a yeah. website like yesterday. My favorite thing that dates it uh, severely is when they're looking for a map and they go oh. grab the giant globe. Yeah, like whoa. Yeah. Can you but imagine someone not having a map within three feet of their eyeball at any within six inches of their hand at I mean. any like, given time? They have their phone, but. Yeah, I mean. He's or when Roy gets to Wyoming and he's in the rental car and he's just practically yeah. trying yeah. to <laughs> look yeah. open with the one hand to unfold those all those maps. Yeah. Or the pull down map in his truck. But the movie holds up so well. Yeah, yeah of course. Um, because it wasn't overly reliant on um crazy special effects like it was classic spielberg kind of using lights and angles and off camera like whatever and and the music's fantastic like it's i would argue that 90 percent of the special effects in this movie still hold up pretty well yeah yeah they don't look they don't look bad they do a lot of forced perspective so yeah. the, they could you can use like models and yeah. whatever and have enough detail there that make it work. Yeah, I think it's it's so good. Yeah. It's on TV here and there and I catch parts of it but I this is the first time I've watched it start to finish I feel like in a good while. It's so good. It's really good. And it I was thinking it was Oh, it's it's a three-hour movie, or it will feel like a three-hour movie. It flew by. I mean, it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't very long at all. It's good paced, or well paced. Mm-hmm. Yep, Close Encounters. If you haven't seen it, definitely see it. 
And if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, I can't believe How you dare you? Yeah. You're, you're too young or you're too old. <laughs> Why are you listening to this? Rush out.